0: Scripture passage this morning is from the book of Daniel, continuing the series we've been doing this entire summer, book of Daniel, chapter 9, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 27. Um, I'm about to say that it would be great if you would uh, stand to honor the reading of God's word, but count the cost, because it is a whole chapter, um, as has been the case throughout the series in Daniel. So if you're able and willing to stand, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 27. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. And I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our, princes, and to our fathers, Because we have have sinned sinned against against you, to the Lord our God God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have have rebelled against against him and have have not not obeyed the voice of the Lord Lord our God by walking in his laws, which which he set set before us by by his servants, the prophets. prophets. All All Israel Israel has has transgressed transgressed your law and turned aside, aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oaths that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has has confirmed confirmed his words which he spoke against against us and against against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great great calamity. For under the whole heaven there there has not been done done anything anything like what has been been done against Jerusalem. As as it is is written written in the the law of Moses, Moses, all all this calamity calamity has come come upon us. us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our, Lord our God, God is righteous and all the all works that he has, that he has done, done, and we have and not, and not obeyed his voice. And now, now O Lord, Lord our God, who brought your people Jesus out of the of land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have, and have made, made a, name a name for yourself, yourself. As, as, as at this, this day, day we, have we have sinned and have, and have, have done wickedly. Done o Lord, Lord according, according to all your righteous acts, acts that your, your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins. And And for for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem Jerusalem and your your people people have become a byword byword among all who are around us. us. Now therefore, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, and to his pleas for mercy. And And for for your your own sake, O Lord, make your your face to shine upon your sanctuary, sanctuary, which which is desolate.
1: desolate. O my my God,
0: incline your ear and hear; hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not not present present our pleas pleas before You because of our our righteousness, righteousness, but because because of Your your great great mercy. O Lord, Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, Lord, pay pay attention and act. Delay not for Your own sake, O my God, because Your city and Your people are called by Your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, and saying, O Daniel, I have come now out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, your word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy seven weeks, weeks are decreed about your people, people and your, in your city holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, sin, and to atone to for iniquity, to bring, bring an everlasting, everlasting righteousness, righteousness, to seal, to seal both vision, vision and profit, and to anoint the an most, most holy place. Know the therefore and understand, understand that, that from the going, going out, out of, the of the word to restore, restore and rebuild and Jerusalem, Jerusalem to the coming the of an anointed one, one, a prince, there shall there be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in troubled times. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. The Lord, we begin by praying indeed for Jake as he grieves on the loss of his dad and we are honestly just in anguish with him, alongside him. And we know, though, that you are God who comforts those who are afflicted, and so we hold out hope that that promise will indeed uh, manifest itself in great power in his life. And I pray again, we are a family, and as a family we have beautiful obligations to each other, and I pray that that would be played out uh, with wisdom and with sacrificial care in the coming weeks as we walk with him. May his circumstances be our circumstances. Uh, May we weep with those who are weeping. And Lord, give us clarity as we make our way through this text, a long, rich, beautiful, complicated text. And I pray that the hearing of it would lead to understanding, and not just understanding, but life change uh, for your glory and our sake. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just got back from an eight-week study leave, eight-week sabbatical this summer, and I wanted to mention just very briefly that we were really sad while we were away because we missed you. And it was good to be away, and much reflection and, and visiting with family and all sorts of things was done. But we missed you tremendously. Our kids missed you. Our kids really did want to come. We even took them a couple of times on Sunday mornings because they missed you. As a credit to you, church family. Uh, for caring for our family well. It's amazing to me uh, that our kids would want to come, and that means that you love them well and that you care for them. And we want you to know that it is a good thing for a pastor to be sad when he's gone. Um, and I don't take that for granted. There's a lot of fraught circumstances these days, and I just want you to know that we love you. And it was sad to be gone for a while, but good at the same time, and it's good to be back. And while we were away, as I mentioned, we did travel quite a lot. And one of the things that you realize when you travel is that God is at work everywhere, not just here, but all over the country and around the world. And you also realize that there's pain everywhere, not just here, but all over the country and around the world. One of the things we did was my wife and I traveled to our denominations national conference in California, and we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, our city churches, and i got to tell you, it was like a three-day celebration of the goodness of God. Just, we were, a lot of what it was was people testifying concerning the God's goodness and their part of the country or their part of the world telling stories. It was like a three-day party. And I want you to know that and to be vicariously encouraged because we don't take that for granted either. Our denomination would be, in my view, very healthy. And we were very encouraged and we were celebrating and so on and so forth. But then at the same time we were eating one night at a local restaurant, and unfortunately, we were positioned right in front of a television that was showing the local news. And the local news, I don't know how uh, regular this was, but it was rough. I mean, there were talks about murders and and kidnappings, and there were press conferences with, uh, you know, people who were freshly minted widows, like convulsing in pain. And we were just watching this, like, what? Just like, what is going on? It It just kind of washed over. It's just overwhelming. And then... Not that, not that recently, recently, or I guess, well, sort of recently, recently uh, not that not long, long after, after that, that, I should say, we were at a, we were at a gathering, and um, uh, someone kind of was talking to me about how um, a pastor had ministered. You know, it's when you do small talk with people, and, and you're a pastor, there's not a lot to talk about sometimes. Um, it's kind of an odd vocation for people to engage with, but they were saying that they had been ministered to very faithfully uh, by a pastor in one season of their life, and, kind of talking to me as if I knew what that season was, and so I checked with my wife later because my wife knows this person way better than I do. Like, what was that season? And and then Kristen uh, went on to recount, like, just just a, a season of family suffering that would blow your mind in its extent. And so we were traveling, and we were rejoicing and seeing God at work, and we were traveling, and we were just experiencing so much pain. So much pain. Living with resilient faith and the God we've been describing throughout our series in Daniel therefore involves navigating two parallel realities. God is present and powerful and he is at work. But also, church, there is a whole lot of darkness. Sometimes unrelenting darkness that takes our breath away. Think, for example, of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in Ukraine right now. i got to tell you that God is moving over there. One of our leaders, one of our denominational leaders, who's a part of our crisis response unit, has been spending a lot of time in, U- in Ukraine recently, and he put a post on social media about how the church that he was worshiping in on a particular morning was three times bigger than it was when the war started in Ukraine. Isn't that unbelievable? And yet, as you know, the people who are worshiping there are contending with this darkness that's not lifting and doesn't seem to be close to lifting anytime soon. How do we commune with God when all of this is true? What does this this look like? And Daniel actually gives us a window into this particularly by means of this remarkable, remarkable prayer we just, we just read, read that makes up most, most of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. 9. So, here so here we go, go with, with two reflections, reflections this morning that have, that have to do with what, what it looks, looks like to, to commune with God, with God in the, the dark. dark. Two, two reflections. reflections. We're going to look, look first, first, first at prayer, prayer in the dark. In the dark. And then secondly, we'll look at confidence in the dark. Prayer in the dark. dark. In the dark. And then in confidence, confidence in the dark.
1: First reflection, prayer in the dark.
0: Speaking of darkness, last week in chapter 8, we unpacked a vision Daniel saw concerning some trials God's people would experience in the future. And by trials, we are talking about government-sanctioned massacre. We're talking about government-sanctioned desecration, apparently at the hands of Antiochus the fourth. The Israelites, think about this, the Israelites are already in Babylonian exile, and yet according to the vision given to Daniel around 550 B.C., there's some debate there, according to this vision in Daniel 8, more atrocities were forthcoming in future generations. Atrocities so bad that the vision literally made Daniel sick in bed with and even after he got better and returned to work, he remained appalled and confused by what he had seen. That's that Daniel chapter 8, verse 27. Around 11 years later, now we're talking approximately 539 BC, in accordance with all sorts of biblical prophecy and, and the dreams and the visions we've already unpacked here in the book of Daniel, the great kingdom of Babylon fell to the Persians. Darius, the Medo-Persian, then became king, the same Darius we met in chapter 6, who oversaw the situation involving Daniel and the lions, who turned out to not be all that hungry, and so on and so forth. Darius may have been the same guy as King Cyrus, who ultimately allowed the Israelites to return to exile, I think it's more likely, though, that Darius was a separate dude, probably a co-regent with King Cyrus, given the expansiveness of the very complicated Persian empire. In the first year of Darius's reign over the former Babylon, see Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Daniel did some reading, he did some devotions, he did some quiet times, whatever you want to call it specifically in the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. These are the writings that are now contained in the biblical book we now call Jeremiah, probably approximately in chapter 25. And as Daniel did these devotions, he realized, hey, if I'm reading all of this correctly and making sense of the math, this 70-year season of exile that we've been in, these, these desolations of Jerusalem. This season should be coming to an end. And of course, the recent regime change at the hands of the Persians bolstered Daniel's confidence in what he discerned. Something was going on. He could see it in his readings. He could see it geopolitically. The gears of, of history were turning in accordance with what God had, God had foretold. foretold. So then, then what? what? You know, did, did Daniel go to the pool to celebrate? You know, was it did he get on Twitter and, and, and write and all caps? You know, it's it's happening. It's we're about to go back. That's not what happened at all. And you saw what happened? He prayed. Why? Why did he pray? Because that's what you do when you've been living in the dark for decades. In Daniel's case, basically his whole life. Because that's what you do when you realize that just because an exile might be ending does not mean that the next 70 years are going to be a blast. Because that's what you do when you realize that a 70-year exile, despite all of the difficulties, still doesn't fully make up for all of the all sin the and the idolatry and, and the injustice that landed the Israelites, Israelites in this predicament in the first place. So Daniel, Daniel prayed. prayed. He prayed. Okay, so he you know, he, he prayed, prayed triumphantly, you know, maybe maybe brazenly. You know, like, you know, yes, sir Lord, it is it is time to go. He he got his jam box out for his return trip, he put on some Queen. Maybe, maybe something peppy from Harry Styles? No. Here's how he prayed. And let's walk through this together. He humbled himself. Verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He centered God's covenant keeping promises. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. He confessed Israel's sin. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. He acknowledged God's justice in pouring out His wrath upon Israel accordingly. Verses 11 and 12. And the the curse and the the oath oath that are written written in the law of Moses, the servant servant of God, God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his his words, which he spoke spoke against against us and against our rulers who rule us by by bringing upon us a great great calamity. calamity. And then Daniel Daniel cried out to the the Lord for mercy and forgiveness. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Verse 18, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And Daniel granted his pleas for restoration and the glorification of God's name. Verse 16 again, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people, your people have become a byword among those who are around us. Verse 17, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant who is pleased for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 19, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. God, the dire circumstances concerning your people and your temple. temple. Are obscuring your mostness, which is basically what we mean when we talk about God's glory. All of these circumstances are getting in the way of people seeing your greatness. So won't you act, God? Won't you bring us back to our land and restore the temple for the sake of displaying your mostness? So Daniel humbled himself. He sent our God's covenant-keeping greatness. He confessed. Israel's sin. He acknowledged God's justice in pouring out His wrath upon Israel. He cried out to God for mercy and forgiveness. And he grounded his pleas for restoration and the glorification of God's name. There are so many shocking things about this prayer, some of which I think kind of offend modern sensibilities on all sides of our ideological fault lines. You know, do you perhaps believe in the basic moral goodness of human beings? Well, Daniel, who had by all accounts been exceedingly faithful for decades, despite very adverse circumstances, nonetheless humbled himself before the Lord in sackcloth and ashes. He by no means believed that he had, you know, earned the right to pick up the golden phone to God because he had been so faithful. Why? Because he was still in touch with his own sinfulness that he references later, by the way, in Daniel chapter 9. He was still in touch with his relative lack of holiness with respect to God's perfection and holiness. Do you perhaps believe that the idea of, of corporate guilt or corporate responsibility is completely foreign to Scripture? Well, consider that Daniel speaks of all Israel as being guilty before the Lord, verse 11, despite the fact that some Israelites sinned, I mean, far, far, far more than other Israelites. And consider that when, Dan, when Daniel confesses Israel's sin, he, he uses... The first person pronoun, we, despite the fact that he's been faithful in so many ways and even found himself in Babylonian exile in the first place because of other people's issues. It's a really complicated matter that we don't have time to probe with much depth right now, but at the very least, these sorts of statements challenge Western individualism and we need to wrestle with it. Do you dismiss the idea of God's wrath because... God is love. Daniel doesn't see it that way at all. Praising God for his steadfast love, for his hesed, while acknowledging the righteousness, basically the moral purity and the fairness of God's judgments. In fact, Daniel sees this wrath as the right response of a God who is loving and good. And therefore, therefore, does not, does not tolerate, tolerate evil. God is not, not by, by nature, nature wrathful, but because, because He is he by, nature loving, by he nature loving, He breaks out in wrath against, against wickedness. Do you believe be that if you can just turn your life around and start, start living as a, a good person, 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 God will forgive you and give you a second chance? Bad news restoration isn't about you. Verse 18 We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. Do you believe that you've finally done it? That you are far too gone for God? That there is no hope for you? Good news, restoration isn't about you. Verse 18, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. The The onus onus for restoration restoration is on God God, and on on His His track record as a God God who is steadfastly steadfastly loving and merciful, merciful, a God God who who keeps keeps His promises, promises, yes, for for our our sake sake, indirectly, indirectly, but but beyond beyond that for the the sake of of His His name. name. How How might all of this teach us to approach God God in the dark? especially because we are not the Israel that God was directly addressing here in Daniel chapter 9. And I doubt, I don't know this for sure, but I doubt many of us are specifically in exile at this moment. And of course, sometimes the darkness we experience has to do with our own sin. Sometimes the darkness we're experiencing has to do very much with other people's sin, and sometimes it just has to do with living in a very beautiful world created by a beautiful God. But the world isn't experienced how it's supposed to be experienced because of the presence and effects of sin in general. Darkness has to do with all of those things. Three ways. In which Daniel's prayer shows us how to approach God in the dark, regardless of the cost. Number one, pray through scripture. Did you notice that this is precisely what Daniel did? He read from the prophet Jeremiah, and then he prayed responsibly. When you are in the dark and you are totally depleted and you're paralyzed, maybe you're even angry, I cannot think of a better way to attempt some prayer than to read Scripture and let that be your God. It is awfully hard to just heal prayer paralysis through kind of force of will or just by by conjuring things out of thin air. Read God's Word and see what happens. One of the most helpful places to start when you're in the dark is to read through the Psalms, which is a collection of prayers. But Eugene Peterson points out something really important. Psalm 1, even though we have a collection of prayers, Psalm 1 isn't really a prayer. What is Psalm 1? It's an exhortation. And it's an exhortation concerning the importance of meditating on God's law day and night, on immersing yourselves in Scripture. And Eugene Peterson says, I have to believe that's because if you want to pray the prayers the rest of the Psalms contain, it starts with meditating on God's Word. Number two, second way in which Daniel's prayer shows us how to approach God in the dark. And maybe this is maybe the most important thing that the Lord was just working with me on this week as I was preparing. Pray with hum- humility. Regardless of the cause of your darkness, pray with humility. Acknowledging your sinfulness. One of the prayers that I've started praying regularly this past couple of months, I guess you would say, is simply this. It's not original to me. I've just adopted it for my own purposes. Here's how the prayer goes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Different parts of that prayer will stand out to me on different days. It's amazing how much is packed into those few phrases. But that prayer, and here's where the Lord has really been working on my heart, That prayer has been particularly helpful in grounding when I'm in the dark. Especially when the darkness seems to be or very much is the fault of other people. In those circumstances, I don't know this is true for you, but it is true for me. I think it's true for a lot of people. In those circumstances, it is so, so easy for the bitterness we might feel toward those who have harmed us to eventually transfer over to uh, to bitterness toward God, which affects our relationship with Him. And church, I am telling you from personal experience, it robs you of your joy. This is a really surprising connection, but I think it's important. Remaining grounded concerning our own sinfulness Especially when others have committed grave offenses against us, actually helps us persevere in joyfulness, believe it or not. And it does so because it reminds us of God's mercy shown to us, which protects us from embittering ourselves against the Lord. Daniel, by the way, had all sorts of reasons to be so bitter. And no doubt his posture toward God in prayer was one of the ways in which God safeguarded him from this bitterness. And of course, when the darkness is very much related to our own sin, humility and confession are the beginning of the way out. Number three, third way in which Daniel's prayer helps us when we're in the dark. Number three, prayerfully tether your hope to God's character and promises. When you're in the dark, it is so tempting to put all of your eggs into the external circumstances basket with a very specific timeline. You know, God, if you would just help me get this job this month, then I'll be in a better place. If you could just do that. It's very tempting to arrange deals with God. You know, if you restore my relationship with my kids, I will double my quiet time. You know, it's tempting to self-promote. God. You know, God, don't you know how faithful faithful I've been? Can we ask God God for specific things? things? Yes, yes, Daniel Daniel asked God God very specifically to turn away his his wrath and to restore God's God's people people in the glory of Jerusalem and the the temple. temple. That's very specific. But where does Daniel place his hope? Not
1: not so much much on specific
0: specific outcomes or timelines. timelines, But in God God himself. The God who is... Trustworthy because he's great, he's awesome, and he's steadfastly loving. Committed to keeping the covenant that he made with his people. Committed to taking action when his people repent and turn from their wicked ways. Resilient faith, resilient joy, when we're in the dark, are the produce of prayerfulness that is grounded in biblical immersion. Humility. Humility and locating our hope in God Himself, rather than in our external circumstances. Now let's look together at how God responded to Daniel's prayer, which is a response that gives us so much confidence in the dark, and this will be a much briefer reflection. Let's look at how we can have confidence in the dark. First reflection, prayer in the dark. Now the second reflection, our confidence in the dark. Look with me at verses 20 23. For you are greatly loved. Therefore consider the word. And understand the vision. The beginning. Daniel, if you're pleased for mercy. A word went out that is a responsive word from God. A divine word. A divine edict. By means of a vision. And I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. That is. I Daniel, we have to say I'm just telling you right now Daniel was a very good prayer you're not better than Daniel at praying let me tell you very, very good, he was passionate he was insightful, he was sincere he was faithful, he was, my goodness, he was so eloquent as we just saw right here if you're feeling inadequate about your prayer life, Daniel should make you feel way worse but why is it that God responded to Daniel? with the Word contained. In verses 24, 24 through 27. Fundamentally because God loved him. Because God, God loved him. him. He, loved, he loved, Daniel loved Daniel because, you know, because Daniel was a very impressive prophet, who he prayed some very impressive prayer prayers, prayers, and was all like, you know, lions, lions, just and throw me in there. Is that God why God loved God him? him? No. God loved them because he loved them. God's love for his people, including servants like Daniel, is not based on our worthiness. It's not based on our impressiveness. Instead, it has everything to do with God's grace and kindness the kindness that persists because God keeps his promises. It's pretty good news in the dark, isn't it? I mean, my goodness, does that give us some confidence? In the dark, our faith often starts to feel so feeble, so weak, just like a, a hair's breadth away from non existence And when it does, when you're in that sort of circumstances, it's like handing a small child to a drowning adult. The darkness is bad enough. And then when your faith begins to flag, and when you don't know what to pray, or even like praying at all, I mean, it's just totally devastating. And of course, sometimes the flagging faith itself is what ushers in the darkness. Church, I want you to know that even then, the object of our faith is infinitely strong. More than strong enough to hold us despite our infinitesimal faith. And please know that, that God loves His people so much not because of their loveliness, but because he's such a lovely guy. There's a fairly well-known illustration typically involving ice that I've adapted by means of a personal story to better suit our geography. When I was a student at UF, I was very involved with the ministry called, it was kind of called Campus Crusade for Christ, now it's just called crew, I think it was during my junior year, we went on this men's, like, river kayaking canoe trip out on the Santa Fe River, and while we were on this trip, it became real mandatory for everybody who was on the trip to jump off of a certain bridge along our route. And it was a high bridge in part because at the time that we were jumping, the water level was fairly low, which of course increases the expanse by which you are. Falling, and so a couple of guys got out on there and just jumped immediately. They were you know, they're super brazen, like whatever. Got on there, jump, bam, splash. Most of us, though, were pretty anxious. I'm just being completely honest. By the way, if the, the, the campus we say uh, legal department ever comes across this term, they are gonna pass out. Uh, we got up there. Most of us were standing up there for what felt like eight. <laughs> Kind of understanding that that we we needed to jump, jump, but but we didn't didn't want want to jump. And eventually though, despite all of our anxiety, anxiety, despite all of our our weak faith, faith, every one of us jumped jumped into that river. And we all were just fine. Why? Why were we fine? Because the water level was thankfully high enough to catch us. And because at that time, there wasn't any driftwood coming by, right? There weren't any trees you know, barely submerged beneath the surface. Did you notice that our faith had nothing to do with our salvation, so to speak? We were super anxious. None of us really wanted to jump. And the reason that we were safe had everything to do with the water. It was high enough. There wasn't any driftwood. If the river had been too shallow, or if there had been driftwood in the area. Even those with the the strongest faith would have ended up severely injured or dead. Do you see this? You can probably discern that ice example now, can't you? Weak faith, weak faith in really thick ice is golden, strong faith in thin ice will kill you. Church, what sustains us? In the midst of darkness, darkness is not so, not so much the strength, much strength of our faith, it's the strength of the object of our faith, faith, which is the God of the universe. You know, you, you might, might be saying to yourself, yourself this, this morning, morning you know, I'm in the darkness, but, but I'm not sure the quality of my, of my faith. faith. I'm just not sure the quality of my faith, I'm not sure my prayer life, life is matching what I'm seeing in Daniel chapter 9. I'm not sure I'm daring to be a Daniel exactly. God sustained Daniel throughout the exile and responded to his prayers because God is a mighty God who loves his people. And you know the vision that the angel Gabriel recounts to Daniel in verses 24 through 27 actually gives us some insight both into the extent of God's love for his people as well as his calculus Behind it. And I'm doing something this morning that I don't typically do. For the sake of time, you're going to get a part two of this sermon next week. We're going to spend a little bit more time pressing into this vision. So, for now, what I want to tell you, and this is a little bit of foreshadowing for what we'll get into more next week, for now, what I want to tell you is the reason that the object of our faith is so solid that we can leave here even if we feel like our faith is barely hanging on is because we are worshiping a God who ultimately sent his Son to be cut off for us, that we would not be cut off. That we would not be cut off even when we're in those battles, even when we feel like the levels of sin have risen to this just just outrageous level that's surely depleted by now the grace of God. The reason that the object of our faith is so solid and will sustain us is because of what we're going to talk about in more detail next week, that we're worshiping a God who sent His Son the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to be cut off. So that ultimately we would not be cut off, so that we could turn to him and repentance and know that even in the dark, the ground that we're standing on is really, really solid. That even though the world seems really shaky, the kingdom we're a part of cannot be shaken. Amen.